Hey guys, so thanks for coming back to Serial Zombie Mom. This is episode 26. So this, I guess I wanted to change gears just a little bit and go into some of these Netflix documentaries that I've been putting off and putting off and putting off for a while. Um, so I don't know about you, how many of you guys have watched Don't Fuck With Cats? Because I've put this off and I've been like, eh, it just didn't look like it was something that I really wanted to, to watch. I didn't really read the description um, on what it was and what it was going on about. Um, assumed that it had to do with like an animal rights thing, which kind of am right. So if you haven't watched that, I suggest watching it. It's a good one. However, if... You have a big, 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 big love of kittens and puppies and that kind of thing. It's going to be tough to watch, okay? First episode especially is crazy fucking tough to watch. So <clears throat> this documentary goes on the search for this internet killer, okay? This internet cat killer. And so obviously you know that today's episode is going to cover Luca Magnata. Now, I got into this and I watched it. It's a three-part series. They tell you about, you know, what kind of led up to it, what he actually did, and then, you know, how they got him and whatever. So I'm going to go a little bit into a different direction and kind of follow suit with how I've been doing most of my other um, episodes and tell you a little about a little about him. And then I'll go into everything else. I'm going to cover more about the murder of Lin Jun than I am about <clears throat> necessarily the, the kitten videos and those things. But I will mention those. So I went, into, I went down the rabbit hole on this one. And started doing all kinds of research and all kinds of different things. Because <laughs> there's some things in here that really... That are super really fucked up. Okay. <laughs> so Luca Rocco Magnata. Was born July 24th of 1982. But his real name. Was Eric Clinton. Kirk Newman. And he was born in Scarborough, Ontario. Yes. Scarborough. Just like Paul Bernardo from the Ken and Barbie Killers that I just covered a couple episodes back. Same area. Now, he was the son of Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman and the first of three children. He attended I.E. Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay and was teased, bullied, for being a sissy mm -hmm. or because he liked to slick his hair back. Or because he was a little feminine. I mean, he was bullied a ton, okay? I, I, I gotta give him this much. Now, his mother, according to him, was an absolute clean freak. Now, it's unsure if she was necessarily OCD or if she was just a germaphobe or what. But she had to have things just so. <coughs> and she would routinely lock her children out of the house. Probably to keep them from making a mess. <laughs> now, 
Now, she even once put their pet rabbits out in the cold, and they froze to death. Now, his father was diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and he was diagnosed in about 1994. So, while he was, you know, about 12 years old, and after which he and Anna divorced. This left Eric to move in with his grandmother, Phyllis. Now, in 2003, at about the age of 21, he begins appearing in gay pornographic videos, occasionally working as a male escort and a stripper. So, he was running around just trying to make a living for himself, like he was looking for love in all the wrong places, you know? (laughs) Um, He even appeared in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Jimmy Magazine as a pinup model. Now, during this time, he's convicted of one count of... a count of impersonation and three counts of fraud against Sears Canada, The Brick, and 2001 Auto Video after impersonating a woman to apply for a credit card and then purchasing over $10,000 worth of goods. Now, he pleads guilty and gets nine months of conditional sentence with 12 months probation. So, <clears throat> I just want to mention here, you know, he's a absolute narcissist. Interviews, things like that going on about him. I mean, there's no fucking question in my mind at all whatsoever. He is the epitome of a narcissist. Okay? He's constantly, like, talking about himself. And it's all about him and and how he looks and, and what he can have and whatever. So, <clears throat> that, is, that is definitely something that, you know, we can see pretty quickly um, about... Eric, or about Luca. Now, in 2006, Eric legally changes his name to Luca Rocco Magnata. Now, in 2007, he is unsuccessful as a competitor on um, Out TV's reality series Cover Guy. Now, he declares bankruptcy in March of 2007, being about $17,000 in debt. This bankruptcy was discharged in 2007, um, in December of 2007. Now, during this same year, there are rumors emerging about connections between him and a relationship with him and Carla Homolka of the Ken and Barbie Killers. But he denies this in an interview with the Toronto Sun. Now, here's the question about that, though. Who started the rumors? Who started the rumors? And why Carla Homolka? You know, it could have been anybody. He could have he could have linked himself to any, you know, celebrity. But he goes to Carla Homolka. And that's who he's linked to. So then of course, what happens? The Toronto Sun comes up and they interview him. He starts getting in the limelight. He starts getting these little Tastes of a celebrity-type persona. Now, after this, he has multiple cosmetic surgeries to try and change his appearance a bit. And auditions for Slice Network's Plastic Makes Perfect in February 2008. Now, over several, several years, Luca actually creates multiple social media accounts and discussion forums to plant false and unverified claims about himself. He is trying to make himself seem like he's a sex symbol. He's trying to, you know, tell all these stories about him and, oh, this person met him and he was awesome and blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. 
So he's doing all this to try and to try and create this persona for himself. Okay, uh, he would repeatedly dismiss accounts as hoaxes or campaigns of stalking against him, and that oh well, this one they keep bothering me, and they keep you know I keep getting death threats, and I keep getting this, and I keep getting that. When they do all this research, and by the end of all this, and including like all the evidence that comes from this "Don't Fuck with Cats" Netflix shit. They have uncovered the fact that he had at least 70 Facebook pages and more than 20 websites under different names. What kind of time did this motherfucker have to sit there and just fuck around on the computer all day? I mean, what the hell? How did he live? Because if you're spending all this time doing all this, how in the hell do you have time to do anything else? So, on May 25th, 2012, a video is posted. An 11-minute long video is posted entitled, One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. And it is uploaded to the website bestgore.com Now this video starts hearing New Order's True Faith playing in the background. Now really quickly I want to bring up that because True Faith is the song that plays in the opening of American Psycho which turned out to be one of his favorite movies. Um a movie he was kind of obsessed with. Now, as we know, Christian Bale's character is an absolute narcissist. And all he's worried about is his looks. And all he's wor- So we see a lot of similarities between him and this Luca Magnata persona. <clears throat> now, with that being said, I wanted to kind of double back to Paul Bernardo and the Ken and Barbie Killers. Because he carried around the book... American Psycho. Like a Bible. So there is something along the lines with this movie. And for a while there, in, you know, after this movie was put out, um, you know, these kinds of things happened and then the movie kind of disappeared for a little while. It was rare to be able to find it. And now with all the new internet stuff and all these streaming services, obviously it's, it's wherever you want to find it, you can find it. But for a while there, it was kind of hidden. And I think it was because of the connections between Paul Bernardo and now Luca Magnata. Because this movie and things about this movie or this book have unfortunately influenced these two people. Now, along with this song... Excuse me. This song playing in the background. There is a poster of the 1942 Casablanca on the wall. We see a nude male tied to a bed. Being repeatedly stabbed with what looks like an ice pick as well as a kitchen knife. The body is then dismembered, followed by acts of necrophilia. The killer then uses a knife and fork to cut off flesh 
and gets a dog to chew on the body. Now, eventually, Canadian authorities obtain a longer version of the video and confirm that there was cannibalism that may have been performed. And it is noted that about 10 days prior to the video's release, there were marketed materials showing that this was going to happen. Now, in the, in the documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, we hear about the fact that he murders this puppy as well. This little dog. A little black and white dog. And we also know that there were threats that, you know, they're not going to find me and I'm going to do this again and don't worry, I'm getting there and, you know, just wait to see what comes and, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, this is an animal rights group that is doing a lot of this research and a lot of this stuff in this, in this documentary. And you will see, if you watch this, and like I said, it's very tough to watch to the point where it puts these people in tears and it was really uncomfortable for me to watch some of the stuff. I can watch and handle quite a bit of stuff, but even that was difficult for me. Now, the following day um, after this video is released, an attorney from Montana attempts to report the video to Toronto police. The local sheriff and the FBI were also... Like, they also reported to them. But it was dismissed by all these officials. And Bess Gore also even tried to report the video. Like, they tried to say, look, this was upda updated or uploaded to my, my website. Like, while normally it's like pictures and things like that, and these things can be pretty gory, or unreleased videos of, like, decapitations and stuff around the world, <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty nasty stuff. You know, but obviously this is a murder and someone needs to do something about it. Nobody takes them seriously. Nobody says, okay, yeah, let's do this. Like, there's got to be something to this. Nobody does that. Now, 11 a.m. May 29th of 2012, a package is left at the National Headquarters for the Conservative Party. Now... This is a blood-soaked package opened by a secretary and it contained a severed foot. The package was marked with a red heart symbol. Now, another package containing a left hand was intercepted at the post-processing facility and it was addressed to the Liberal Party. This same day, a janitor finds a travel suitcase in the alley of an apartment building that has a horrid odor. Now, it's left near the garbage. And as he approaches, he sees maggots coming out of the top and assumes that someone left an animal in it, dog or cat or something must have, you know, must have passed away and they didn't have anywhere to bury it or whatever, so they throw it out in the garbage. Now, he states that he had seen the suitcase on the 25th but not all the garbage was picked up because there was an unusual amount of garbage that day. So they picked up so much of it and they were going to come another day to get the rest of it. So he goes and he's like, what the hell? You know, it has to be a dog or a cat. Let me do the right thing and go, you know, go bury this poor soul, this poor little baby. And he goes to slightly open it and 
finds a decomposing torso. He had seen um, this, you know, a few days earlier and did not expect. He's like, if I would have known a few days earlier what was actually in here, could I have found who did it? Could I have gone and looked and seen who left this here? Now, they interview and they talk to this guy in this documentary. So you will you will actually see him talk. Now, the police are called in. You know, they say they found the human remains. So they come in. They start checking the garbage bags. They tra- start checking everything. They take like 36 garbage bags in to be processed. That's a lot of fucking garbage. <coughs> but they find pieces of human remains. They find bloody clothes. Papers identifying the suspect, which they initially were like, oh, there's papers of, of uh, Luca Magnata. Um, I wonder, you know, this must be the poor kid that's, you know, oh, this has got to be the guy that's that's gone. His apartment is in this building over here. Let's go look at it. So initially, that's what they think. Okay. They also find... Um, Sharp and blunt objects, one of which is a screwdriver that is painted silver. The handle is painted silver to make it look more like an ice pick. They search the apartment. They go up there. They realize on on these papers, okay, he's in this building. We're going to go to to, uh, apartment 208 and we're going to check and do like a well check on him and make sure, you know, it's not him and... You know, or or see what's going on in this apartment. Let's hope we don't find any other parts of him. And they go in there and they're like, nope, the apartment's pretty clean. Actually, it's spectacularly clean. Um, and smells of cleaning supplies. So, after, you know, going in, like, they see this. They notice that it's a little strange. It's a little too clean. There's a brown sheet on the bed. Like... You know, he had rented, apparently, uh, about four months prior to this and had paid all the way up to June 1st. Now, after further analysis and, and looking through with, like, Luminol and other things, and and even just with the naked eye, they were able to find specks of blood on different items, including the mattress, the refrigerator, um, the table, and the bathtub. <coughs> As they're searching this apartment, as they go through and they're taking pictures and and documenting everything, they see a message written in on the wall of a closet. And this message states, if you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. And when you look at the handwriting on it, it's just creepy. Like, it just makes you think of... Like something you would expect to see on a wall written in blood in like a horror movie. And the way that it's written, it's just, it kind of gives you the creeps just seeing it. Now, I know people who have written things in closets or on pieces of furniture or, you know, things like that. But never have I seen anything that looked like that. Now, on May 30th, the part the body parts were linked to the torso and also identified as a 33-year-old 
Lin Jun. <coughs> he was also known as Justin Lin. And he was an international student from Wuhan and an undergrad at Concordia University. He worked part-time at a convenience store and had been studying in Montreal since July of 2011. He was last seen on May 24th. And his friends had gotten a message about 9 p.m. that evening. But the next morning, he didn't show up for work. So his boss gets really suspicious, and he's like, you know, that's really unlike him. He was a great worker. He would come in and do like he was supposed to. And if he didn't, if he couldn't come in, he would always let someone know. There was always a reason why. So he was reported missing May 29th. When friends finally tried to locate him, they knew something was not right. It's not like him to not talk to us, tell us what's going on. We got to report him. Now, he was gay, but he was not openly gay. He was not outed. Um, that's part of the reason that he had come to Canada, because he knew that it was a lot more um, accepted in Canada than it was in Wuhan. So he knew he had to be somewhere where he was going to be accepted and be able to really live his life. Being 33 years old, you know, he wanted he wanted a chance to actually live his life. Now, notes and other evidence, as well as other packages, were actually located. But unfortunately, there were no details disclosed to the public about the contents. At this point, they just didn't want to allow any copycats to come forward um, and to murder or to falsely claim that they had something to do with it. So, as we notice, a lot of times when... when um, there are details released on a case. There's always going to be those things that they don't release because they want to make sure that this private information, that's only something that the killer is going to know. That's only something that someone involved in the case is going to know. So that's how they know that they've got somebody or if somebody gives a confession, whether they've got the right guy. Okay. Now, on June 5th, the right foot is delivered to St. George's School and another with the right hand to False Creek Elementary School in Vancouver. Why send him to schools? I couldn't figure out a connection between St. George's School and, and False Creek Elementary in Vancouver. I couldn't figure out why he would send those there. Like, why in elementary school? Now, June 6th, his, the family um, arrives. So, uh, June Lynn or, or Justin Lynn's family arrives in um, into Canada from Wuhan. <clears throat> At this point, they're giving DNA samples and they're, like, trying to say, you know, whatever we can do to kind of help and figure out, you know, what's going on. We're here. What can we do? On June 13th, the body parts were matched to Lin Jun with DNA. And on July 1st, his head had actually been discovered at the edge of a small lake in Angrig... Sorry, this I don't know how to say this. Angrignon Park? Um, after they got an anonymous tip. Now, I don't know if it was somebody that kind of found it or saw it and they were like, holy shit, we need to call the cops. Or if it was something that was like... Yeah, maybe I should just throw him a bone here and <laughs> throw him a literal bone and and 
tell them where it's at. You know, I'm not sure they didn't release any of that, so we're not sure. Um, now, his body was then cremated July uh, 11th, and his ashes were then interred into a cemetery then in, there in Montreal. Um, <coughs> however, you know, I, I'm not going to release the the location of the cemetery or anything like that, because I think this poor man needs, needs to rest in peace. Um, and I don't believe that, you know, having a ton of people visit and be like, Ooh, I know where it's at is a smart or appropriate thing to do. So he was cremated and his ashes were interred. Now, immediately they issue a warrant for the the arrest of Luca Magnata for first degree murder, committing an, an, an indignity to a dead body, Publishing obscene material, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or scril or scurrilous. Ah, I can't even. I can't speak today. I don't know what's going on. Scurrilous material and criminally harassing Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harp, as well as several other mem members of Parliament. So when they go into this this unit, this apartment unit, and they realize that, you know, well, he's not there. So, maybe it's a co coincidence that he's there, but we need to go talk to him. So, they look up. Like, who the hell is this kid? Like, where's his family? Whatever. About 2 o'clock in the morning, his mother gets a, gets a knock on the door. And she's freaking out like somebody's trying to break in. What the hell's going on? She peeks out the window and sees that they're cops. She goes downstairs and she's like, Obviously, someone coming to the door in the middle of the night. It's not a good thing. What the hell? Which one of my kids is hurt? So she goes to the door, <clears throat> she opens the door, and they're like, you know, do you know Luca Magnata? She's like, yeah, that's my son. You know, they look past her, they see pictures on the, on the, um, on the wall, and they're like, so he's, so he's your son. Have, where have you, you know, wh what do you know? And she's like, is he okay? Like, what's going on? Is he okay? And then they're like, no, no, no. He's fine as far as we know. Where the hell is he? We need to question him. About that point, she freaks out. And then they start telling her, like, look, we found a body. Um, it's linked to his apartment. We don't know if he had anything to do with it, but it's looking like maybe he did. Um, but this is definitely not him. Like, you know, whatever. So she's freaking out at this point because she's like, what the hell? <laughs> How could one of my kids do this? <clears throat> now, May 31st, Interpol issues a red notice for Magnata requesting his return to Kennedy. Canada. Because because obviously they find out at this point, they're like, you know, where in the hell can he go? At this point, they're finally starting to take, um, you know, any tips a little bit more seriously, even from the animal cruelty people from the Netflix documentary. Like, they, they're starting to take some of their tips um, seriously. At that point one of the detectives or one of the people working on the case is invited into their online group and they share every little bit of information that they possibly can and they're like, here you go. So they go in, they start looking at this and they're like, holy shit, this guy's nuts. Like, this guy's got a, got a problem. So they know, well, where the hell is he? <clears throat> so they're like, alright, you guys have done all this research and done this great job. What do you guys think? Where do you think he is? Well, so they go back and they start looking at these videos and things that he's posted and pictures that he's posted and they try to figure out exactly where he's at. And then they realize Casablanca. He's giving us tips. Like, he's giving us clues as to where he is. He is, like, 
peppering these clues into these videos about his next step and what he's going to do. He wants to be found. So then they go back and they think, Casablanca. They go watch the movie, and at the beginning and the end of the movie, they start realizing these connections. Well, at the beginning and the end of the movie, the beginning of the movie, you start off and there's this map of, of Europe. And it kind of closes in at the very last, obviously. What's the last line? What are some of the last things at the end of the movie? You know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but we'll always have Paris. So they're like, ah, oh, he's had to go to Paris. He has to go to Paris. I guarantee he's been to Paris. Now, this is something that we find out when we, when we speak to the mother and we find out, or the, the cops speak to the mom and start learning more about him. They find out that he loved old movies. Loved old movies. Casablanca being one of them, you know, and was absolutely just enamored with these old Hollywood movies. So, <clears throat> knowing this, they're like, let's try it. Let's try Paris. He's gone to Europe somewhere. And then they start looking around. Um, flights, uh, whatever, to, to European cities. And then they start looking at... Um, like surveillance videos as well. We've got to find him. We've got to find him somewhere. We're going to find him. We've got to do this. So as they go through, they finally, they find him. And then they find out that he has booked a flight to Paris. So he flees to Paris um, on May 26 using a false passport under the name of Kirk Trammell. Now, his cell is traced to a hotel in um, Bagnolet, but... He left before the police could arrive. I mean, they were on his tail. They were not far behind him. But he didn't stay the night there. They actually have surveillance of him leaving just a few short hours after he got to the hotel. And he never damn comes back. But he had a reservation for one night. Now, when they go into the room and they see, you know, what room he was in, they find porn magazines and an airsick bag found in the hotel room. He had contacts in Paris from a few um, previous visits and one in, in 2010 <coughs> where they actually start following some of these people that he may have spent time with. One of which was a lar large man that they had actually seen with him at some point during surveillance. Now, after staying with a few men through a few different days, he heads to Berlin, Germany. When he gets to Berlin, he's apprehended. June 4th of, of uh, 2012. He's sitting in an internet cafe, and he's reading about the case and reading about himself. How much more narcissistic can you get? Like, here you are, you're in the news, like, and you are reading every little tea-tiny thing about yourself, even though you know it's all negative. So when they start questioning him, asking him questions, like, he gives all these fake names, and they're like, no, 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 we know who you are, come on, Luca, you know, just tell us who you are. And finally admits who he is. His identity and identity is confirmed with fingerprint evidence. And he appears in a Berlin court on June 5th to be extradited to Canada. He has to sit there for a while, though. <coughs> and he's not delivered to the Canadian authorities until June 18th to be processed and taken back to Montreal. Now, knowing this, the best score owner, Mark Merrick, was also charged in this um on July 16th of 2013 with corrupting morals, uh, which was something very, very rarely used, um, but 
an obscenity charge because the posting was allowed to be uploaded. Now, unfortunately, you know, I think it was something where, oh, you have something that you want to view or you want people to see, go ahead and, and put it up. But I don't think that it was something that he intended to have this kind of stuff posted. Okay. Now, on June 19th, 2012, Magnata appears in court by a video link to plead not guilty. But June 21st appears in person as um, to request trial by jury. <coughs> His pre preliminary hearing starts March 11th through 2013, and the evidence is publicly banned. The 12th, the victim's father arrives in from China, um, and the 13th, his lawyers uh, all resign due to a possible conflict of interest. So I don't know really what happened there. There is not really a lot of information as to why they resigned. But then he's got to get all new lawyers. Now the testimony, the forensic pathology, the toxicology, odontology, bloodstain analysis, internet investigation, all of this is entered into evidence, okay? Both Luca and the victim's father actually physically collapse at separate points during the proceedings. So some of the stuff gets to be so much, so much information. And I think as far as with, with the victim's father, I think it was more so, oh my God, I can't believe what happened to my son. All this stuff that he did to my son. But then as far as Luca, I think it's more of, let me showboat and let me show off and let me, you know, show him how good of an actor I am. And, you know, or it could have been, you know, more of a, crap. Like, I'm fucking caught here. I'm not going to make it through this. Now, during the evidence, they actually even show some surveillance footage of Luca entering the apartment building with an Asian man wearing a hat and a bright yellow shirt. Now, this obviously proved to be Justin Lin. And a few hours later, Luca is seen leaving wearing that yellow shirt only to arrive to come back, you know, with a plastic bag in hand. And they think that he had, he had bought like rubber gloves or plastic gloves or something. Um, and a few other cleaning supplies or something. And that's a pretty small bag. I've seen the, I've seen the surveillance. It's not a huge bag, maybe enough for like a tiny bottle of, you know, bleach and a, um, you know, thing of gloves or something, but there's not a lot in that bag. Now he even like when he walks in the door with this bag, he stops, and there's a big wall mirror in the lobby of this, this apartment building. And he stops, and he checks his hair, and just admires himself for a moment. In the fucking lobby, when he's probably got a body upstairs. Now, through the next few hours, <clears throat> he starts making these repeated trips that, again, are seen on surveillance. I don't think this little fucker knew... How much this building was surveillanced. I don't think he realized that there were so many cameras throughout the building and throughout, like, around the garbage area. And if he did, maybe it was just, uh, people need to see me on video. I mean, and when, and when I joke about how he talked... And I do the voice and how he handled things and talked about things. That's how he talked. That's truly how he talked. 
And he would talk about how he had such a great deep voice. And yeah, I mean, he very narcissistic, self-absorbed piece of shit. Okay. <coughs> so anyway, they have all this surveillance of him going to the garbage facilities. And when he shows up, they think, okay, it's strange, 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, early, early in the morning, he's bringing stuff down to the trash. Because normally people are sleeping. They're going to bring it down during the day. Or And then they were like, well, you know, it could be just a strange night. Maybe he just brought something down. But then he leaves, and he comes back again. And then he leaves, and then he comes back again. He makes approximately 20 or more trips to throw things in the garbage. This whole time, it's bits and pieces of this poor man. Now, on April 12, 2013, Magnata it was indicted on charges of first-degree murder, offering indignities to a human body, <clears throat> distributing obscene materials, using post-service to distribute these materials, and criminal harassment. He elected to be tried by judge and jury. Now, I think that was more to make a spectacle of it, because, again, he wanted to be something. He wanted to be in the limelight. And, unfortunately, he's done that. He's put himself in the news to where people talk about him. Now, after a 12-week trial, including 10 weeks of testimony, he was found guilty on all charges where he served a, where he is to serve a mandatory life sentence with eligibility of parole for 20 after 25 years. They actually put him eligible for parole after 25 years. What the fuck were they thinking? It's like the last episode, how I was talking about Catherine Knight um, being not eligible for parole and being said that she must never be let out. They should have done that with him. They really should have. Now, he was also sentenced to 19 years for other charges. But let me put this into perspective for you. This 19 years for other charges is something that he is serving for concurrently with his life sentence. In 2038, 2038, I will say that again, 2038, he will be eligible for parole. And I hope to God that they don't let this fucker out. Because he'll do it again. And if not that specifically, he will do something else to get his kicks. I can guarantee it. Now, his mental health was questioned, obviously, for multitudes of reasons. And there was evidence given that showed that he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic as a teen. Well, as we remember, his dad was a, was a schizophrenic. Now, defense expert Dr. Joel Watts testified that he had shown signs of episodic schizophrenia, histrionic personality disorder, which is actually a pattern of excessive attention-seeking behavior starting as a child and into adulthood. This includes inappropriate seduction, sexuality, you know, that kind of thing. 
<coughs> he also have sign, has signs of borderline personality traits and paraphilia. Now, if you don't know what paraphilia is, paraphilia is when you have an intense sexual arousal to atypical objects. So, objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, individuals, things that you normally wouldn't associate with sexual arousal, okay? Now, they, they also show that he had been using illegal drugs during his teen years that could have actually led to mimic symptoms of schizophrenia and that he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by crown expert Dr. Joel Paris in, in April 2012. Dr. Giles Chamberlain was another crown expert that was not actually able to interview him. He, he diagnosed him, however. But I don't think that necessarily that should have been allowed. Like, if you haven't spent the time as a psychiatrist or as a, um, a psychiatric evaluator or whatever the hell you're doing, like, if you have not spent the time with this person or have not spent the time to really get to know him and his mannerisms and everything that he does, like, should you really be allowed to diagnose someone? I mean, I guess you can speculate, but you can't use that as a full diagnosis unless you have spent the time and actually done the assessments yourself. Now, that being said, he diagnosed him as antisocial, histrionic, and narcissistic personality disorders. Now, again, no denying the narcissism at all. None whatsoever. And even in recent years, there have been some homicides between um, 2010 and 2017. Some different homicides were being reinvestigated, wondering if he, they could be linked to him. But unfortunately, they were abandoned um, due to the lack of evidence. Now, not stating that the murders would have occurred between 2010 and 2017 because obviously they're doing the trial and all that stuff at that point. He's jailed and whatever. <clears throat> what they're saying is, is that d during 2010 to 2017 was when they were reevaluating other cases and he was popping up as a possibility of a suspect. So why the hell, <laughs> knowing what he did to this poor man, would they throw everything out and abandon these cases? I think some of these cases, for sure, he has to have some, some knowledge of. Well, I mean, to get to that point where he has dismembered and done these things to this body, people evolve. Serial killers evolve in their techniques. Okay? They don't just go from doing things to animals to just dismembering and, and cutting up somebody like this. <clears throat> and this goes back to Catherine Knight, too, and some of these other serial killers. You don't do such this horrible, horrible thing without some other prior knowledge of it. Now, with Catherine Knight, she was working at the abattoir, so she was able to you know, get out those frustrations and do these things to these animals that were already already dead. She didn't actually have to murder them. So she was getting her kicks doing that. Now, with Luca Magnata, <coughs> that's not the case. 
they need to go back and look at the under, underground or or the gay community and see which one of these murders, because I think, honestly, he was going in and he was pulling a Dahmer. And he was going in and pulling up these people and then he was doing little things here and there. And then slowly just got worse and got worse. And then he was saying, you know, I think that's where he was giving these hints that this was going to happen. And he was like, you know what? I'm working up to it. I'm practicing for the main event. These are, this is my audition, you know, whatever. But I truly don't think that this man is his only victim. I really don't because he would have had to, like, they found the saw that he used to, to cut him up. Like, they found, don't tell me that he hadn't figured out what to do. He had to do something to figure out what to do. He couldn't have done all this within this short period of time and cleaned all this up without having some kind of prior experience. Sorry. Not going to happen. Now, it's been figured over the years, and after watching the Netflix show, um, that he was behind the awful animal cruelty videos involving cats that were posted to YouTube beginning in 2010. One was entitled, One Boy, Two Kittens. They show parts of this video on the documentary. And he deliberately suffocates two kittens. Big, 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 big trigger warning with these. Into a vacuum sealed bag. And vacuums the air out. Now, in January of 2011, a professional model and animal rights activist joins a private group that was able to identify Magnata. This person, and they don't have any other information. They just know, like, I don't know if it was male, female, you know, whatever. But this person comes on and says, I know who that person is. The person you're looking for is Luca Magnata. This is the person. Now, the second video, I don't remember the name of that one. But he has a cat taped to a stick and drowns the poor baby in in the bathtub. Then there's a third video where he feeds a kitten to a python. Now, the thing about these videos and what really, really bothers me is that the initial part of the video, when everything's starting, everybody's like, aw, how cute, these great little kittens. And, like, with the first video, it's this guy, he's petting these kittens, like, everything's all right. And then all of a sudden, he just shoves them in this bag and then just starts, you know. And then later on, you see he's playing with their little rigged bodies, like they're stuffed animals. And... I'm sorry, this this bothers me. And I have to I have to stop a little bit here and there. So I apologize. Um I'm a cat lover. I'm an animal lover. I absolutely love like I can't imagine doing this to one of these poor animals. So I'm sorry. Now the second video is not so nice. The one with the drowning. This poor cat is staring at you with wide eyes. And is just begging to be let go. And it's horrific. And that, they show that clip of him being hovered over over the bath. And then they cut away. 
Like, they don't actually show anything with that one. But there's, like, no way for this baby to, like, struggle to get free. Like, there's, there's nothing it can do. And then with the third video with the snake, he's playing with this kitten on the bed. And then he just backs up. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's this fucking big-ass yellow python under a pillowcase. Like, it's under, like, tucked under the pillow. And then all of a sudden it strikes. Now, I've had snakes before. And I understand this is something that they do. You know, I've had to feed them rats and, you know, whatever. But I don't stick around and, like, hang out and watch. And a rat is a rat. Like, I've had mice as pets. I've worked in a pet store. Um, you know, I've dealt with rats and stuff. Like, they're not that big of a deal. Like, they're pretty cool. They can be pretty neat. You know, but I don't have that connection like you would with a cat that's going to cuddle up on your lap and love on you. Or a puppy that's going to come up and give you kisses. So, there apparently was another video of a kitten being set fire in a cage. They believe that is linked to him as well. Unfortunately, the Facebook group targeted the wrong person when it came to that one. And there was a an individual that they really targeted and attacked and um, said some horrible things to and... They were telling him they were going to kill him and whatever. And it turns out that he was, like, ex-military and whatever. And he was so depressed. He was going through some other things at the time and may have shared the video. And then they linked him to it. And and he, unfortunately, wound up committing suicide due to the harassment. Um, so that was kind of an unfortunate uh, side effect here. And they unfortunately, you know, that's... We see things like that with animal activist groups and things like that. Sometimes they target the wrong people. Or when they get heated about something, they go and go and go until they feel justice is done. And unfortunately, in that case, they attacked the wrong person. So, <coughs> now, we do find out later that the puppy in question in the um, lunatic ice pick video is also murdered and they find the puppy's body in um in the trash amongst all the other evidence now right now at this moment luca magnata is 38 years old and he is currently serving a life sentence now in 2015 he signed up for an inmate dating website called canadian inmates connect this is something i think they've got something like that here but I do know that this is something kind of more in the, the past few recent years that they're like, well, just because they're in prison doesn't mean they can't have love. You know, some of these fuckers don't deserve shit. You know, let them get ass raped. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, like some of these guys, ugh. You know, but there are people that it's like they're in for different kinds of crimes. You know, who gives a shit? You know, whatever. that They, I guess, I guess deserve love as well. Now, in 2017, it was reported that he would be getting married to a fellow inmate, a Mr. Anthony Jolin. And they tie the knot on June 26th with Magnata's mother, Anna Yorkin, as his witness. Now, it's noted that when they began their search for Luca, um, and they went, like, 
it wasn't something that, like, they knew, his, I guess his family knew he was gay, but it was something that he didn't obvi- obviously publicize until, um, until he was old enough to, to really, I guess, high school age or whatever. But he knew, like, the family knew, everybody knew while he was young. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. So, when you go back and you watch this documentary, and I want to bring up the mom for just a minute because she was his, she was his witness, and they interview her, and you meet her in this documentary, and I gotta say, she's so passive. Um, I think she knew a hell of a lot more than, than she let on. I think she knew that he had these tendencies. I think she's hiding some of the things he may have done when he was younger. As far as putting these these bunnies out to freeze to death. What if he did it? What if he did it and he, they're all just saying that she did it? Maybe she had some tendencies herself. Maybe it was something that stemmed from dad. You know, and his schizophrenia. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Not really sure. Anyway. Luca and his husband have not been granted any type of cohabitation, however. Um, But his mother did team up in 2018 to write a book with Brian Whitney. And the book is entitled, My Son the Killer, The Untold Story of Luca Magnata and One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. She is making money off of this just like he would. And for him doing it... He wouldn't be able to get anything for it because they would probably have a publication ban. They would have all these issues. But with her doing it, she can take this money and put it in his account. Like for concessions and whatever. So regardless, he's reaping benefits too. And in the book, he's interviewed by Whitney. And Whitney, you know, he tells him, you know, well, prison's not so bad. We have movie nights. We have all our own TVs. I have a painting class and exercise a lot. I practice language studies. and But that he doesn't actually like talking about the crime himself. So, with that being said, that's about all I've got on the case. Um, but I have started delving into all of these um, different documentaries on Netflix that I have not, have not been wanting to watch like I I was putting them off because I just didn't seem like I was interested and then I start watching it and I'm sucked in so um you know if you guys have any any documentaries anything like that that you think I should watch um please send them my way you can send me an email at serialzombiemoms at gmail.com or you can hit me up on the Facebook page or uh Instagram through the posts uh serial zombie moms podcast and I'll see you guys on the next episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much.